0: Oh, good morning again. As I was preparing for the message this week and even last week, I realized that there's a, a judge that we're going to be focusing on this morning, Shamgar, who, you know, is kind of sandwiched between two judges and he gets like one line. And, and last week in my preparation, I wasn't sure to if I should include him with Ehud or this week if I should include him with Deborah or dig a little deeper and find out what we might have with this one verse of scripture. And as I was digging about Shamgar's story, it kind of led me to this this concept uh, that I'll introduce us with about influence in our lives. The fact is that we are all products of influence, those who influence us in our life. We're influenced by everything in life, we can be influenced by our experiences, whether they are good experiences or whether they're traumatic experiences. We can be influenced by our family, our family of origin um, or lack of. We can be influenced by our teachers, by our friends, by our colleagues, by our coworkers, our neighbors, and the list goes on and on. When we're young, uh, we're, we're highly influenceable. Right and and oftentimes the influences that we are that we experience are out of our control when we're younger. We're kind of just at you know the mercy of the environment that we're in that we are influenced by. But as we get older, uh, we are able to then choose who and what we allow to influence us. Right, and we must choose who, and what we allow to influence us because influence gives us a frame for, framework for what we believe, for how we're going to act, how we're going to behave. And I think that this is why Jesus says to the church that the world will know we are his disciples because of our ability to agape one another, to love one another. We influence the world by how we act, by what we believe. We must understand that everything in this world has the potential to influence us. I follow a page on Facebook that's dedicated to sharing quotes from a gentleman called A.W. Tozer. Maybe you've heard of him. A.W. Tozer was an alliance pastor in the 1900s. He's written a few books one of which I forgot to grab out of my office, I was going to show, but one of which uh, changed my relationship with God. The book is called The Pursuit of God. In fact, uh, this book so changed my life and my relationship with God that any time I'm in a thrift store and I come across it, I grab it. Simply so I can give it away. It's that good. I keep my my own personal one at home, but I I have some in my office, I think. You can find quotes from men of the faith that just hit you in ways that make you pause and reflect on the wisdom found in them. And I'd like to share a few quotes with you from A.W. Tozer and another man of faith, C.S. Lewis. This morning that I find profound as we get started. A.W. Tozer, quote, To have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart, which comes out of his book, The Pursuit of God. C.S. Lewis says, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. A.W. Tozer, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. C.S. Lewis, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. A.W. Tozer, God's purpose in redemption is to make worshipers out of rebels. C.S. Lewis, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. A.W. Tozer, out of his book, A Man of God, no shortcut exists for a deeper spiritual life. The man who would know God must give time to him. And as much as those have impressed upon me in my my journey and my growing, and and especially as God has called me into vocational ministry, there's one last quote I'd like to give you that was given to me by a mentor uh, that I often have to go back to. I often have to go back and read this because of the truth of it. And I'd like to share that to you, with you this morning. The quote is, God does not call those who who are equipped. He equips those whom he has called. And this is by Smith Wigglesworth. That is his actual name. I had to look that up. Smith Wigglesworth. God does not call those who are equipped. He equips those whom he has called. The reason why this uh, is something I have to go back to is because this is the battle that I struggle with in my mind. See, the enemy knows right where to hit us the hardest. And for me, it's dealing with feelings of being inadequate or unqualified. It's born out of insecurities that I have deep down inside of me that Jesus, by his grace and mercy, is refining out of me each day but they are still there the reality is we all deal with insecurities and the enemy knows exactly what they are and how to push our buttons the enemy fights us mostly between our ears that's where the battlefield is is in the mind He battles us with whispers that trigger those insecurities and cause us to doubt, to feel anxious, to fear, all with the purpose of stopping us from living out the life we're called to live. The whispers you hear might not be the same ones that I hear. They might come in different ways, but we all hear them. The enemy is crafty and knows exactly which buttons to push to cause us to feel like we don't have a purpose to serve, like we don't matter, like we're insignificant, meaningless, and no good. Which brings us to Shamgar. I imagine that, you know, as you read through Judges and you come across verse 31 in chapter 3 in this mention of Shamgar, that... Uh, you might go, well, who's Shamgar and why does he get mentioned here? You might even overlook the fact that he was used by God as a judge because he comes after the story of Ehud and right before the story of Deborah. And you might just glance over it. But we're going to study this verse this morning. And I'd like to point your eyes to the fact that Shamgar gets one verse. That's all. Just 22 words in the English Standard Version. In Hebrew, it's 18 words. He is mentioned later on in chapter 5, verse 6 where we get a little bit more detail and I'll kind of be sharing that detail as we go this morning. But it's very easy to overlook Shamgar because his mention kind of feels like a footnote to Ehud. So as we get started this morning, let's pray and we'll dive into the word. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. Lord, I pray that as we work through your word, that you would work in our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear you. Lord, we all know that we all have insecurities, we all have these things that uh, get in the way from, from knowing you more fully. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, that you would just illuminate your word to us, that the truth of your word would impact us in a way that we would otherwise not know what to do with, that you would transform our lives from the inside out. Lord, I pray that as we study this short, brief study of Shamgar, that you would help us to understand why you gave us his story and what it means for us. But I pray that this morning would not just be a, a transformation of information, but Lord, that the information received would, would transform us from the inside out. So come, Lord Jesus, and do what only you can do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we know that uh, last week, if you were here or, or weren't here and were able to listen, last week we studied the story of Ehud, the left-handed man, all right, who uh, after... Sir, years of, 18 years of servitude, uh, Ehud uh, delivers the tribute and is able to kill the king because he was left-handed, kind of was sneaky there because he was a left-handed man. We went through that last week. And we see that uh, if you back up to verse 30 of chapter 3, it says, So Moab, the country Moab, was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So we see after Ehud that the land has rest for 80 years. And then it goes right into verse 31. And it says, After him, Ehud, was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. And that's it. That's all we get for Shamgar here in this verse. And after Ehud... After him was Shamgar the son of Anath, who killed six hundred of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he saved Israel. And you might be going, Pastor, how in the world are you going to preach an entire message on one little verse? Well, that's kind of what I thought this week too. Um, but the Lord has has given me plenty to speak on, so uh, buckle in. <laughs> Like I said, it's easy for us to take a verse of Scripture, especially like this, where all of Shamgar's story is in this one verse, and overlook it. But, as people of faith, when we look at Scripture, such as 2 Timothy 3.16, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed. Meaning that all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God specifically breathed into being. We also know that that same scripture is profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuking, and training up in righteousness. So we know that God specifically placed this verse for us and that it has purpose for training us, for teaching us something. So with that in mind, let's dig in and see what we know about scripture, about this verse. What do we know from scripture about Shamgar. Well, we know that Shamgar is the third judge of Israel, that he comes after Ehud, right? It starts out by saying, after him, the him there is Ehud, right? After Ehud was Shamgar. We know that if we've been following along chronologically that Shamgar is now the third judge being raised by God. If you turn the page probably to chapter 5 verse 6 you will see in the song of Deborah Shamgar's name mentioned again where in her song she says in the days of Shamgar son of Anath in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers were kept to the byways we see that in his days the highways were dangerous they kept off the highway So we know that Shamgar, when he was called up, it was a dangerous time to be traveling the highways, okay? We know that from Scripture. We also know, because of chapter 5, verse 6, that he's a contemporary to Deborah, meaning that he was a judge, he was judging Israel in the same time frame that Deborah was. And we see that God uses him to save Israel from the Philistines, That he has this title, the son of Anath, And that he kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad. This is what we can get from scripture. And you might ask yourself, what is an ox goad? I know I did. I'm not a farmer. I have no idea what an ox goad is. But I'd like to show you some pictures. It's a piece of farming equipment. It's typically 8 to 10 feet long. Six inches in diameter and would have a poker and a spade at the end. Might look something similar to this. Or a little bit more like this. This is an ox goad that Shamgar kills 600 Philistines with. Don't know about you, but that doesn't look like some weapon of warfare to me. We know from Scripture that the highways were dangerous. Here's that verse in chapter 5, verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Why would they be abandoned? They were abandoned because there would be robbers and, and, and mercenaries and people who would try to rob those walking on the highways. And so it was a dangerous place to be. And so the travelers kept to the byways instead. We also know, by that same verse, that he was a contemporary to Deborah, as mentioned earlier. Where you see, in the days of Jael, when we start unpacking Deborah's story, you'll find Jael is in the story of Deborah. And so we know that Shamgar is judging Israel in the same time frame that Deborah is judging, just in different areas. So what's stood out in my study is the name Shamgar. So as I was studying and and, and going like, Lord, there is not a lot here to preach on. You have to show me something. This is where we're going to be focusing most of our time here. What's in a name? Well, the name Shamgar in Hebrew means called or named a stranger, which is interesting because... In no other Hebrew text is there anyone ever named Shamgar in any other Hebrew language, or in any Hebrew text. Unlike, you know, other Hebrew names that were common, Joshua and things like that, right? So, we have the Hebrew Bible that has Shamgar's name, that literally means called a stranger or named a stranger. But in no other Hebrew text do we have any other mention of any kind of Shamgar. Which is important because Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. Shamgar is not a Hebrew name. It's found in no other Hebrew texts. Which means most likely that Shamgar was not an Israelite which at this point might be a little confusing because God raised Shamgar who, if this is true, was not Israelite to save Israel. In fact, the name Shamgar is actually more of a Hurrian, H-U-R-R-I-A-N, descent, which would be similar to like the Hittites. Uh, They would have been um, Canaanite. In fact, uh, the Mitanni Empire was from the northern Mesopotamia area, which would be modern-day Syria. And there's archaeological finds that have been discovered uh, from these Mitanni Empire artifacts in areas that are Kurdish-speaking in Syria. So we recently had, uh, you know, our international worker this past fall, John, serving the Kurdish people in Syria. That's the area we're talking about that Shamgar would be from in that area. Stay with me a little bit longer. We're getting there. Shamgar was most likely from one of the Canaanite tribes that was left in the northern area of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath that the tribe of Naphtali settled with in chapter 133. If you go back to chapter 1, we talked about how Israel was sent into the promised land by God that God delivered to them with the instructions of kicking out the people and settling. And the different tribes didn't do that, which is why we're here with the judges In the area that Nephtali settled would have been this area of Beth-Anath, Beth-Shemesh, which would have been the northern area where we're talking about, this northern Syria area where these artifacts have been found. We see in scripture this title, the son of Anath. Well, in Hebrew... If you have this at the end of your name, it typically denotes lineage, genealogy, heritage, the surname, if you will. And this has caused a lot of scholars struggle because they can't find an Anath city anywhere historically or this lineage of Anath. Typically because Anath was a goddess in Canaan. Anath was the matron goddess of warrior bands in Canaan. Think of like warrior guilds, right? And so they would carry the banner of the god of Anath. And so Shamgar was the son of Anath. And therefore, this is most likely a title, not a surname, not dealing with lineage or heritage. In an article that I found from biblicalhistoricalcontext.com, there was an archaeological find between the dates of 1954 and 1980 of these copper arrowheads. These are all arrowheads. They date back to the 1100-1050 B.C. era, which would be the late Bronze Age that we are finding ourselves in in the text right now. These arrowheads had an inscription on them, or at least some of them did. And the ones that had these inscriptions on the copper were written in a way that would uh, have a formula that would either be servant of name of God. So, in other words, it would be servant of Baal or servant of Enoth or servant of Molech or whatever the case might be. And the other inscription formula would be insert the person's name, son of, insert the name of the God, such as Shamgar, son of Enoth. In fact, they had one that they found that specifically had this inscription, which would have been someone's name, they they can't determine the name, but it would be someone, son of Anath, specifically inscribed on this arrowhead. Which is very strong archaeological evidence to prove or to support that Shamgar was most likely not Israelite, and that he was most likely a warrior from the guild of the goddess of Anath which would have been very common at this time because that was a Canaanite God. That's the land that they're conquering. And so it makes sense there. Which means God uses a non-Israelite pagan man to rescue Israel using an ox code. Which left me with the question, why? Why does God raise up Shamgar, this if this is all true and all the evidence pointing towards it leans that way, if it's true that that God raises a non-Israelite man, a pagan man, to rescue Israel using this ox code, why? And like I've said before, I don't want to teach from conjecture. Scripture just doesn't tell us. We just don't know why. We don't know Why? if this is true, why God would raise this pagan man to save Israel. But I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning with influence. See, Naphtali, the tribe of Naphtali, had invaded the area that if, again, all of this facts lines up properly and Shamgar was from that northern area, that he would, they would have settled with him. There would have been this influence of these godly people, the Israelite people, even though they were rebelling at the time, they they still would have lived their lives the way that they should be, just not following God. And they would have had some form of influence on the life of Shamgar. So maybe that's what's, what's going on. Maybe... In the 80 years, if the cycle is true that we've been developing about uh, Israel being saved and then uh, the years of uh, peace and the judge dying and passing away, then they would fall back into apostasy if that cycle is true, even though it's not, you know, defined specifically here in the scripture. Maybe at the time of Shamgar's raising, there wasn't a Hebrew man worthy of being raised. Again, this is all conjecture. We don't know. It makes us scratch our head when we, when we come across scriptures that we don't know exactly how to teach or what to do with. But if God used a non-Israelite to rescue Israel using a farming piece of equipment, we have to ask, well, what is the lesson for us? And I think today's application comes to the fact that God can use anyone, even you, to serve his purposes. No one is insignificant or purposeless. Each and every believer is called by God to himself and to his mission. And the enemy whispers in our ears. The enemy gets into our head and makes us go, no, I can't be used. No, I can't, I, I can't do that. No, I'm, I'm just a student. I'm just a child. No, I've been running away from God for a long time. The enemy whispers into our ears. He attacks our mind. And he does anything he can to make us believe we're useless. And that we're not important that we're not a part of the kingdom of God. But Scripture tells us otherwise. Scripture tells us that those who have, who have surrendered their life through repentance and faith in Christ are born again into the family of God for his purpose to be on mission with him. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, expect perfection before calling you into service. He calls you just as you are he says, I can use you. If you'll follow me, I can use you. And I can use you. And I can use you. If we'll follow his lead. I think one of the most important things I've had to learn as a believer is specifically that God wants to use me. And he wants me to serve him. He wants me to follow him, but he's not going to force me to. And the enemy knows that. And so the enemy gets in my head and makes me believe that I can't serve him and that I can't follow him faithfully. And then I get stuck. And I just show up on a Sunday morning. I listen to the preacher. I listen to the worship. And then I go and I live my life the rest of the week because I don't feel like I can do anything more than that. And Satan wins in that case. He knows he's lost the ultimate battle, right? In the end, he knows he loses. But if he can get Christians to show up on a Sunday morning and that's all they're doing in their Christian walk is showing up on a Sunday morning, he's winning. God has called us to so much more as followers of Christ than showing up on a Sunday morning. And this is not... This is not a shame speak. This is not, I'm not trying to shame anyone. This has been true of myself. So I'm speaking for myself here. There's power in the blood to serve our king in much more than showing up on a Sunday morning to worship him and to offer this time. He calls us to much more that if we would surrender we, if we would live our lives in surrender day in day out there's so much more he wants to use us for in our community to share hope to share share love and share peace that only comes fully in Jesus He calls us to that But we have to stop listening to the the enemy's lies Because if God can use Shamgar, a non God follower, for his purposes, he can use anyone, even you and me. We just have to let him. Because God does not call those who are equipped, he equips those whom he's called. And my friends, if you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been called. You've been called. And so therefore, he, he equips you. He didn't invite, he didn't call you once you were equipped. He didn't ask you to, sh- to put on the armor and, 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 and get all the training before being called. He calls you, and then he equips you. If we let him. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, uh, I thank you for how even one small verse that might seem insignificant to us has so much truth packed in. We thank you for the archaeological evidence that that proves that this is true. And, and, and Lord, that's just one example of evidence that has been found uh, to support the truths that are in Scripture, Lord. And, and we just thank you that... that uh, those have been found. We thank you for leading people to find those discoveries that support the truth we find in your word. Lord, it can be hard. It can be hard to ignore the influences in our life, uh, to ignore the experiences, to to call out the trauma, the, the past, the 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 conversations that we've had whatever the cases may be that influence our mind it can be hard to lay those at your feet lord we're all influenced by the world and in our actions the interactions that we have but lord we need to be seeking you because you are the one who gives us truth you are the ultimate influence that we should be seeking because in you we find hope we find peace, we find love we find mercy that we don't deserve we find this thing called grace that we don't understand and the world desperately needs to see that Lord, I believe you're doing something new in this day, Lord, that you are calling your church to wake up and, co- and join you on mission. And Lord, as we uh, collected that the Great Commission Day offering, Lord, we know that you are still in the business of sending people. You are still in the business of raising up people to join you on mission. To be agents of change in this world, Lord, because your heart is for the lost. Your heart is for those who don't know you. Because even while we were those rebels, even while we were sinners, even while we were running the opposite direction and unworthy of your love and and mercy and grace, you sent your son Jesus to come and take our place on the cross so that all who would believe in his name, in that sacrifice, in that atonement, would be rescued. That we would be saved. And you didn't ask us, for perfection you didn't ask us to believe first you sent your son in the midst of our rebellion so that we would believe so Lord we come to you and we, we, we have no words to say but thank you Lord forgive us for allowing influences in this world to lead us to guide us to impact the way we think and behave. Lord, we lay those things down before you and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, we need you. We only need you. Would you do it again? Would you raise up your church to do it again? today. Not so that we would receive any honor or glory, but that your name would be lifted high and glorified. It's in your name we pray.